Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. The Gospel of St. John, the 15th chapter, from the first verse. The Bible says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. It says, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it might bring forth more fruit. He says, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Now ye are clean through the word that I have spoken unto you. Jesus and God the Father now appear and present themselves on an agricultural discourse. The narrative is that he says, I am the vine. And the father is the husband, is the fellow maintaining all of this. And he says, and any branch in me that does not bear fruit, he says, I take it away, I deal away with it. But he says, and every branch that beareth fruit, he says, he purgeth, and that it may bring forth more fruit. He purges that it might bring more fruit. Remember, he says, I am the vine and ye are the branches. He says, I am the vine and ye are the branches. So without me, Jesus is saying, you can do nothing. So there's these branches that are producing fruit. And there's branches that are not producing fruit. And for the branches that are not producing fruit, he taketh away. For the branch that produces fruit, he says, he purges. And he purges, he says that he may bring forth more fruit. Let me begin this way. This sermon is especially for those of you who have been born again for quite some time. And you have noticed something a bit queer of sort uh, concerning your walk in God and the things over time that have left, you've lost, that have disconnected from you and in your own perspective were for your advantage, quote unquote. Somebody says something like, you know, before I got born again, I was a successful businessman. And uh, all my businesses were straight and everything was all up and running. And then I got born again and my business failed. So what happened when I got born again? I thought that things were supposed to be easier because I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Or another one can say, you know what? I used to have a very great job, you know, working in an air-grade company or a conglomerate that was paying me greatly and... I got born again, and from the time I got born again, things started going south. I started losing favor before my bosses, and consequently I was fired, and now I'm home. I've been home for four or five years. You see? Or somebody can say, oh, you know what? My marriage was okay. My marriage was fine, and when I started to draw closer, when I started to attend service more consistently than the time I was, or perhaps they were both born again, and you know, there were, you know, these kinds of Christians who go to church sometimes when opportunity comes, and when it's not there, they don't go. When they feel like they go to church and sometimes they don't feel like they don't go. And so when she was a lukewarm Christian, her marriage was fine. And yeah, probably both of them are born again. And then she finds this wonderful ministry and tunes in. <laughs> you understand? You know, some messages are like drugs. When you tune in for Nero, you can't stop watching it. And then, you know, before you know, your marriage started to have issues. What's wrong with my marriage? I don't know. And it's not that the husband has a problem with her going to service, but she has realized that from the time she connected to this ministry, somehow certain things in her marriage started to go out of line. What happened? What happened? You were a great student before you became born again. Your teachers used to celebrate you. Everywhere you stood, you know, praises were thronged at you because you are worth your salt at every level. And now you went into this church or this ministry and I see you praying a lot and you're fasting a lot and all these things and 
you know, you're no longer showing the fruit or the reality of your wisdom, or intellect, your performance went so bad. And what happened? Why is it that when you became born again, or perhaps when you delved deeper into God, your education uh, was greatly affected? Is it because you're not reading hard? Or some of you are actually reading hard, but something attacked it. Say, what am I losing? What am I missing? What has happened with me? Some of you, you lost the people you loved. You lost your friends. You lost some family members because you chose Jesus Christ. And I came to give you an answer because the gospel gives answers. It's supposed to give answers, not to leave questions. It's supposed to give solutions. It's supposed to reveal an answer for you. And that's an emphasis. It should cut across anything that reflects the good news. If you call them good news, they're just as good as they are and actually too good to be true. So how does that reconcile with what I'm going through as an individual, somebody would say. Paul says in Timothy, the first chapter, the third verse, he tells him that as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus while I went into Macedonia and I charged you, he says that nobody preaches any other doctrine except for the doctrine that I have taught unto you. And he says that you might not give heed to fables and myths and endless genealogies, which minister, he says, questions rather than godly edification, which is through faith. He says, when you are teaching about myths and fables and endless genealogies, the doctrine of Christ is not a ministry of question. It's a ministry of answers. It's a ministry of solutions. If they should divert or digress from that course and then teach any other doctrine than that which is of Christ, he says that will minister questions to the hearts of your hearers rather than godly edification, which is through faith. And he says, and now the end of that commandment is that pure love, that pure heart, he says, and a good conscience and of faith and fame from which some having swerved off, have turned aside into vain jungling, desiring to be teachers of the law, not understanding what they say, neither from whence they are firm, neither from whence they are firm. So they carry no spiritual backup of their proclaimed convictions concerning truth. And so they are not ministers as men which preach forth the oracles of God. They are vain jungling. They're speaking uselessly in the spirit realm. Their spirit realm has no place to provide for the words that they're speaking. Why? Because these words in the end are actually ministering questions rather than godly edification reasons after faith. The ministry of Jesus Christ, this is for ministers, is supposed to give answers. And likewise, as believers in the world, wherever we are, in our workplaces, in our businesses, in our careers, in our ministries, wherever God has placed us, we are supposed to give answers to the challenges of the world. We're supposed to give answers to the problems of the world. That's what God has called us to be and do. And if you believe it, shout amen. amen. So I came to give an answer to that kind of person. And it, again, we go back to the scripture that I just read. He said, this fellow that did not produce fruit, the branch that produces not fruit, he says, he taketh away. But he said, but every, underline, branch that beareth fruit, every branch that beareth fruit, every branch that has results or has shown some sort of results, he says he purgeth it. Now underline the word purging. And why does he purge it? That it may bring forth more fruit. And this is what the Lord tells me. That when you go the way of producing fruit concerning the kingdom, expect a purge or a purging of some sort. You see? Expect a purging of some sort. Every branch, he said. Every branch, he said. This is the way every believer who is going deeper in God, who has produced some result in God, who has invested themselves of some sort in God, they should expect a purging from God. And the Greek word they're used for purge is katairo. The word katairo is only used twice in scripture. I'm going to come to that and explain that. And katairo means to prune a tree or a vine of useless shoots, to prune something. So some versions use the word pruning instead of purging. For that branch which beareth forth fruit, he prunes. He prunes. The word prunes that. He prunes it. Why? 
that it might bear more fruit. You see that? So, for those of you who have done a little agriculture, when we say we're going to prune some, what does that mean? What do we intend? What are the end results of a plant or some that has been pruned? We prune that we might increase the yield or quality of a plant to improve the yield or quality of a plant. We yield that we might lighten a plant of things like some plants have dead parts on them and some of these dead parts on them, you know, sort of, you know, weigh the plant and confuse it a bit. And so what do we do? We remove the dead parts. We also prune to control the direction of the growth of a plant. Sometimes uh, some plants grow the wrong way. They go the wrong direction in their growth. And what do we do? We prune them that we might give them direction. We also prune to improve the health of a plant. See? So all of these things are for advantage. They're for the health of a plant. They're for the right direction of a plant. They're for the right, better yield of a plant. They're for the improvement of the quality of that plant. They are the reading of the dead parts of that plant that the living parts might be given opportunity to grow. See that? Katairo. So he says, if you start to do some sort of thing, you've committed yourself over into the word, the fruit of yielding to truth. I'm attending every Thursday, every Sunday. I'm going to church. There's fruit there because why you are consistently acquainting yourself and being consistent concerning the presence. Because some people don't have... The spirit realm is not synchronized for them because they don't have a consistent life of abiding. That's why in the next verses again in John, he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, if you abide, if you can abide in me and I in you, if you can abide in me and I in you, and the Greek word for abiding is if you can continuously stay present in me or to me, if you can consistently stay present, just consistently stay present, if you abide in God and his words abide in you, he says, you shall ask whatsoever you will and it shall be done for you. The spirit realm is synchronized. All things start working together for good because not only do you love God, but you are called according to his purposes. You're called according to his purposes. Now, back to what I was saying. So we see a place where there is a pruning deliberately. Not because this person is passive in the way of their faith, not because they're doing nothing. You know, this is not for the fellow who is born again, but he is really like not doing anything. He attends sometimes, sometimes they're in a tent, or he, you know, he's available to God and today he's not. He's committed the other day and that day he's not committed. He's faithful in his givings and everything that God requires of him and sometimes he's not. I'm not talking about that kind of individual. That one, the reason why they're not having God's best is because they're not aligned to the principles and patterns of the Spirit. That's a different one. I'm talking about the individual who, you know, some of you are the biggest givers in your ministry. Some of you are ushering, you're doing your security part, you're doing everything, you're serving right. But things have failed. Some of you are attending services. You are praying actually the more and you've realized that the more you pray, actually the harder things are becoming in your life. What is wrong with me? And he's saying, look, if I start to see any fruit in you, I'm going to look to purge you. Because the way of life seeks to consecrate anything to God that shows that there is fruit in it. It's the way. And the three parts of you that God will consecrate. He will consecrate your will. He will consecrate your place of understanding or revelation. How do you walk in the spirit? How do you connect with the spirit of revelation? See that? And he will also purge your intellect or your psyche or your mind. How does your mind work? How does your psyche work concerning the things of the Spirit? How does your intellect apply concerning the ways of the Spirit? Because if the intellect is not reconciled with revelation, you cannot have the judgments of God. You cannot understand the judgments of God if your intellect is not reconciled with revelation, with your spiritual experiences concerning knowing Him. So the judgments of God are drawn, you see? So, you go through a process of being purged. And in saying that I'm pruning you, I'm pruning you. And what does this pruning also mean? This pruning also means loss. 
because you're cutting off things. You are disconnecting off things. You are taking away certain things from this very thing that has life. Albeit to the thing you're taking off from, it might not have the inability to interpret what the importance or the disadvantage of what is being taken off it. The branch on a tree might not know why it's being pruned. It could actually bleed on the part that is pruned. If it had a mind of its own, it would, might not be able to understand the end of the husbandman and what he intends to do or why it's done to the vine. You see what I'm saying? And so regardless of what we are able to understand or what we are not able to understand depending on where we are with God, he has given us his mind concerning why the pruning or purging takes place that I might cause you to produce more fruit, that I might cause you to yield a better quality of life, that I might cause you to go the right direction because sometimes when you're growing, certain delusions in the faith can mislead and then you find yourself going places you're not supposed to go. So I'm trying to give you a certain direction. You might not know where you will end or how because perhaps how you plan this to go is not the way it had gone or perhaps before you got born again, you had even gotten your papers, you're supposed to be in the country and probably you thought you're going to settle in a first world country and everything was going to be, you know, as you had planned and then you live forever happily after. And then somehow when you get so deep into God, Somehow everything was cancelled. What spirit, what demon is on me, apostle? How come that after I'd invested all my time and energy, things have diverted from the course that I wanted from? And God has deliberately chosen to take you a certain direction. But you need to know how or why he has done that. Hallelujah, somebody. And I'm going to come back to that a bit later. But like I said, the word katairo is used only twice in the whole Bible the Greek uh, text. And one is this, John 15. And then the other is in Hebrews, the 10th chapter. Why? Because it also has the definition of cleansing of all impurity. See, it's a whole idea. The pruning process is cleansing of all impurity. But now, when you go in Hebrews, the 10th chapter, where it's used, he says, for the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of those things, can never with those sacrifices which were offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. See? So the Lord does not have enough because it's a shadow of good things to come. And because it's a shadow of good things to come, the very sacrifices which are under the law have to be offered year in and year out continually to the comers because it cannot perfect them once and for all. For then, he says in the second verse, they would not have ceased to be offered. He says, because the worshippers once purged should have no conscience of sin. You see, the word again used there, purged, is katairo. And what he's trying to emphasize is this, that the law is a shadow of good things to come, but not the substance thereof. And therefore, the sacrifice that given under the order of the law cannot create perfection in them which are sacrificing. And that is why they sacrifice every year because it cannot perfect once and for all. For if it was sufficient, if the sacrifice was sufficient once and for all for the sins of the people, then there would not have been a need for them to sacrifice continually. But they're sacrificing continually because it's not enough. You see that? Now, in the second verse, he says, because the worshippers, once purged, should have no conscience of sin if the sacrifice under the law was sufficient. But if the sacrifice under the law was sufficient, again, I'm emphasizing this, then there would not be a need of sacrificing again. Why? Because the end of that sacrifice is the purging of the conscience of sins from men. See? And... If I can continue a bit from the third verse, but in those sacrifices, the ones that are given by men under the law, there is a remembrance again of sins every year. For it is not possible, now to listen to that, that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. That is why Jesus came, that by the shedding of his blood at Calvary, once and for all, our consciences would be purged of sins or sins. 
You see that? Our conscience would be pruned of sins. Now, ho, ho, ho. Think about it from the realm of pruning. Our consciences would be pruned. So you see, when God is dealing with the conscience of a believer, the word katairo there is deeper. It's deeper than just the form of cleansing of all impurity. No, but it's the maintaining of this thing clean. It's the sustaining of this thing blameless. It is the work that continues to direct this individual the right way that they would stay without conscience to sin because once they are awakened to the conscience of sin, the seed of sin abides in them to continue living a sinful life. Remember, if the conscience is not purged, a man cannot live right before God. So again, go back to the idea of pruning. He only prunes that which produces fruit. He doesn't prune that which does not produce fruit. And remember, you have the Holy Ghost. See that? The Holy Ghost is the energy, the source, and the life that makes you fruitful, even before you produce fruit. That's why he calls them the fruit of the Spirit. See, the fruit of the Spirit is love and all these kinds of things, long-suffering and everything. See that? Because the Holy Spirit represents fruit. See, God cannot purge, He cannot prune that which carries no fruit. That's the law of the Spirit. See that? So you have to receive the Holy Ghost. Receive the Holy Ghost as a guarantee of the things the Bible says that were freely given unto us. See? The Bible calls him the one with whom you are sealed until the day of redemption. Praise God. Hallelujah. And so we go back here. The reason why Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, is because the conscience of sin is purged once and for all. And in that, God will not direct a man to sin and its power for the redemption of that man. He needs to direct that man to the way of love and salvation. You see that? So the direction is out of the conscience of sin into the conscience of righteousness. Because if you believe right, you live right. And you have to believe right by believing that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah, praise God. You see that? Now, let's continue more on this. Remember I said that it's there to help a plant bring forth a better yield. It's there to help a plant produce a better quality of itself. See that? So when we are purged from the conscience of sin, we automatically become better. We live right better. We become a more extraordinary individual. Refuse to be just average ordinary. Some people say, I'm just the average ordinary Christian. I'm a normal person. I'm the average Joe. Average Joe blow, some of them call them. See? God has called you to live an extraordinary life. And it's available in Christ Jesus. Kathairo is secondly used here. When you understand it from that perspective, you realize that there cannot be a purging of our conscience to sin except if God awakens us to the purification, to the cleansing. That is why in John here he says, the words that I've spoken to thee, he says, have cleansed thee. Because the word is a cleanser. It's not a condemner. It's a cleanser. Every time you hear the word, you feel cleaner <laughs> in the spirit than before. It doesn't mean that you've done something right from that moment. And you don't need to do anything right for the word to cleanse you. That is why if you continue staying on the word, those of you who continue sitting in church or listening to the word, you find yourself walking out of certain habits. You find certain things leaving you and you don't know, oh, so when did I stop doing this? When did I stop doing that? You were seated under a cleanser. You were being cleansed every day by the reading of the word of God. Somebody shout, amen, glory to God. Now back to the point I say, some of you have noticed notable losses since you deeply yielded or gave yourself over to God. Because there comes a time where it's okay for you to keep some stuff because you're not of a certain importance to the kingdom. And I'm talking about the front line of men which are really bringing effects in the world. But as the word kept cleansing you, as the word kept separating you and consecrating you, you became more and more worthy to be used by God. Remember, you don't do God a favor to use you. No, he is actually a blessing to be used by God. Paul speaks it in his very words. He says, I'm so grateful to the God who counted me worthy that I should be a minister of this gospel. 
There is nothing as beautiful as being a minister of God. There's nothing that comes even close for God counting you worthy. If you will read that, 1 Timothy 1.12 from the message version, he says, I'm so grateful to Christ Jesus Christ. He says, for making me adequate to do this work. He made me adequate and I'm thankful. He says, he made me adequate to do this work. He went out on a limb and you know, entrusting me with this ministry. He did so much to say, Grace Lubega, you are a preacher of the gospel. It's the best office in the world. He's the best employer in the world. It's the best thing that could ever happen to you to be a servant of God. Somebody shout hallelujah. And so, when you are counted to be among those that are to serve God, especially those that who serve God, certain things start breaking off. Because like I said, purging is loss. It's not gain. See? And some of those things you are attached to. Why? Because they have ministered comfort to you. Look at the children of Israel. The scripture says they stayed 38 years around Mount Seir. Of the 40 years they spent in the wilderness, 38 years were around one mountain, Seir. And that was the inheritance of the children of Esau and the children of Jacob, which have the blessing of the stolen birthright, find solace and comfort and cradle under the lower or inferior inheritance of the sons of Esau, the Edomite. How fallen had they become? How could they get comfort in an inferior grace and glory? Except that the devil had done so much in the years of captivity that he had caused them to forget what was available for them, who they really were before God. So he spent 38 years around Mount Seir. And those 38 were simply comfort. Because some people, they are okay with comfortable. They're just okay with comfortable. They're just okay with what's enough. Yet the God they're dealing with is more than enough. The El Shaddai, he's the God of more than enough. He has more than you'll ever need. He wants to do in your life more than you will ever need. Glory to God, hallelujah. He's more than enough. He's more than you'll ever need. He'll give you more. He's ready to do more than you'll ever need. So back to the story. So some of you had friends. And as you continue drawing deeper in God, sort of don't find you cool. They sort of don't have a conversation with you anymore. And some of them, it's not that they're not born again. Some are actually born again. But where you are, woman, it's not where they are. The book is the same. Perhaps even the chapter is the same. But you're probably many verses ahead. Some of you, the book is the same, but the chapters are different. And some of you, even the books are different. You're not in the same book, you see? And so God says, you know what? These are supposed to be in this chapter, but they have failed to get into this chapter and you have reached this chapter. I'm gonna patch, boom. And then it breaks that communication. The person you used to hang out with every week, you probably now meet once or twice a year. But perhaps they don't even respond to your messages. Some of them just don't stop talking to you. Something can happen between the two of you. And before you know, the person who used to communicate with you sees you differently. You see blue and they see pink. And I tell people, be wise enough to discern that this is the purging or the pruning of God because you must move on from people who might hold you back from your destiny because our destinies are not the same. Hallelujah, glory to God. Some of you have lost things, property, stuff. Why am I losing this? Why am I losing that? Some of you, the school you are supposed to go to now, something happened and you did not get the university course that you needed in the university you wanted to go to and then you found yourself in another university. But the Bible says that it shall give you whatsoever you ask and that, that, that yes. But the purging and the pruning is saying, look, I will give you whatsoever you ask, but I'm not certain that you know what you even need concerning your destiny. I see that the direction you're going, your consecration is in this university. It's not in that university. And all things work together for good. All things work together for good. You are where you're supposed to be. If you produce fruit and you know that you are somebody who has produced fruit before, you are where you are supposed to be. Settle and just yield more to God to make sure that you're in the perfect will. Sometimes, again, like I said, things are going to fall off when you're in the perfect will. Things are going to fall off. Some of you, 
your relatives have disconnected from you. You're looking so strange in the house. They look at you and they're like, you know what? You are so strange. You used to come. We used to take tea with you. You no longer take tea with us. And that's a big deal, you know. Remember those days you used to come every weekend and then you eat food with us. What happened with you? And that's the day they actually find that you had not even combed your hair. You look strange. More strange than you were before. And you're like, what's up with this dude? He was okay. You're turning into a douche. Eh? Something's happening to you. You see? But God is purging. God is dealing. God is pruning. Some of you are not fired because you're bad people. No. Or some of you are fired because you have a stinky attitude and you have bad manners. Again, Christians sometimes, it's hard to even hire some of them. They're so indifferent to the way of life. Not all, but some. Their mind is not consecrated. So it's not applied in the way of life to know how to live in wisdom. You see, they don't know how to occupy. They don't know diligence. They don't understand how to commit to something. They don't know how to work hard. They don't know how to be prudent. In matters, they don't know how to be proactive. They don't have the wisdom not to exercise themselves in higher matters higher than them. In the name of faith, they've lost the way of wisdom. And some of them are going beyond themselves in the life of faith. And they stand to look stupid. Stand to look stupid. Because their heart is haughty. And you know, when you read the book of Psalms, when he speaks about how some people exercise themselves in matters beyond them or in things that are too high for them because their eyes are haughty. In Luganda, they call it, I know, Rugezi Let me tell you why. If you go in the next verse, he gives the reason why. He says, because they were not weaned. They were not weaned. Remember how they win? Mothers win. Scripturally, he says, surely I have behaved quieted and I've quieted myself. He says, as a child that is weaned of his mother, they are not weaned. They were not raised right. They were not fed spiritually right. And so at the point where they should be quiet, they speak. At the point where they should be humble, they're the loudest. At the point where they should appear not to know some because wisdom requires of them to be that way, there's a time they dispel the highest level of folly. Going back to what I was trying to emphasize here. So we lose things, things start leaving, things start disconnecting, things start, you know, going away from you. Some friends leave, some families leave. Like I said, some of you lost jobs for the wrong reasons, but some of you lost jobs, you did right. You refused to enter a transaction that was corruptible or that was defrauding of your company and you refused to eat that extra bread that was not right. And then, you know, they said, let's get rid of this man. Let's get rid of this woman. Why? Because if he continues to stay with us, we're not going to earn more money. And you refused to eat what was dirty. You chose to eat what was yours only. And then you went to God, give me justice. I've done nothing wrong. But you see, they're going to take away my job. And they do. And they're like, what is wrong? There's a person one time who I met and he said, you know what? I'm only poor because I chose to be true. But there's more to that. It's not the end of your life. If you should die poor because you chose to be true, then there's some that missed out in that conversation. Why? Because God has a way of rewarding truth. He has a way of rewarding truth. Your end should not be death and poverty. Somebody shout amen, shout amen. So yeah, we lose things, we lose people. In Matthew, he spoke about the same experience, the 10th chapter, the 35th verse. He says, for I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. This is the God you accepted. And he says, and he that loveth the father or mother more than me is not worthy of me and he that loveth the son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. I know people who love their sons and daughters more than God. And people love their fathers and mothers more than God. It's how you actually behave in the things of God. Some of you have given priority to the things that are dissuading you or removing you from your relationship with God in the name of father, in the name of mother, in the name of child. He says, if you love your child, I love my child. But he says, if you love your child more than me, you are not worthy of this thing. As hard as that can be. It is hard, but it's the truth. And he continues to say, and he that taketh 
not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. And 39, he says, he that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake, he shall find it. I wish you understand what I mean. Let's read the message version from the 35th verse. He says, I come to make a sharp cut between son and father, daughter and mother, bride and mother-in-law to cut through these cozy domestic arrangements and free you for God. Did you hear that? He says, it's come to cut certain things out of your life to free you for God because certain things, certain relationships, however important they are, they can actually make you so busy for God. You see that? I have been in church sometimes and you find a woman with a child. There's a whole service of two hours and they're in the service and they're not attentive, they're not attending, they're just with a bit two hours, and she has become so busy to worship God in the presence because God gave her a child. I know people who no longer go to church because they have husbands. And people who no longer attend service because they have children. Oh, I'm not attending service these days. You don't even stream? I'm always attending to a baby. See that? I'm always attending to my husband. I'm always attending to my wife. Well, I got a new job, and that job makes me busy. Nothing should make you busy for your God. Nothing. I tell people always, I don't build my faith around my schedules. No, I build my schedules around my faith. And it doesn't matter how many millions of dollars my schedules will give me if they conflict with my faith, I will choose my faith any day from my schedules because my schedules did not shed their blood for me. My schedules don't give me life. My schedules are the entities through which the life of God emanates and is expressed into the world. See that? And so he says, God will take away these cozy domestic arrangements to free you for him. And the 36th verse, he says, well-meaning family members can be your worst enemies. Well-meaning. And in this he says, they're not bad. They're not bad. They're well-meaning, but they can become your worst enemies. Can, not always or should, but can. 37th verse, he says, if you prefer father or mother over me, you don't deserve me. He says, if you prefer son or daughter over me, he says, you don't deserve me. 38, he says, if you don't go all the way with me through thick and thin, you don't deserve me. You're either in it for the long haul or you're not in it. See? 39 verse, I love how the message says that. If your first concern is to look after yourself, you will never find yourself. If your first concern is to look after yourself, he says, you will never find yourself. He says, but if you forget about yourself and look to me, he says, you'll find both yourself and me. What a statement. Praise God, hallelujah. If you forget about yourself, just forget about yourself. Forget about your programs. Forget about your ideas. Forget about what you have and what you don't have. And just focus yourself on God. He says you will find both Him and you. Because you can never really find yourself if you don't find God. Somebody shout hallelujah. You will never find yourself if you do not find God. We've lost a lot. Again, with the words of Catherine, it will cost you everything if you look for a higher glory in God. It will cost you that man you love. It will cost the woman you thought you'd never live without. It will cost you. He says, yeah, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ for whom I've suffered the loss of all things. He has suffered the loss of all things, he says, and do count them but dung that I may win him. There are losses when we choose to follow God. I lost friends that I loved and I still do love. I lost certain opportunities that I loved. 
I lost them. Certain doors have shut on me. And some of those doors that I sold off back then, I needed. You see, depending on the eon you're in, you'd be surprised the things that you think you need until God takes you to where you belong. And you realize not only did you not need them, some of those things actually badly needed you than you needed them. But God just needed to elevate your vision to see the things that you must see. But brothers and sisters, it costs not something, not a lot, everything. It does cost. What people see are the miracles. What they see are the wonders. What they see are the lights. What they see are the cameras. What they see are the breakthroughs. What they read are the testimonies. That's all they read because they are not there when God is purging. They were not there when God was pruning. They will not know how many days you spent hungry. They will not know how much you have given, how much you have spent and have spent of yourself concerning the gospel. It will be easy for certain people to judge because they only see the end of a man to judge a man's end. By like a farmer, many of them are not there when a farmer is planting. What they see is the fruit of that farmer coming up all through the fields and they're like they some this brother was doing but a couple of years couple of months before there was nothing on that field to show that there was something you were working on but don't get it wrong the seeds had fallen on the ground there is nothing you are doing in and for God that is a loss he is the only boss in whom there is no loss he says God is faithful he's not unfaithful to forget your labors he cannot forget the times you forewent that party for him. He cannot forget those times that you went beyond yourself and spent even that little money to buy for God, to spend for the kingdom. He is not unfaithful. That's why he says, brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Your labor is not in vain. You're not listening to this sermon for nothing. You've not put aside your times listening to this sermon for nothing. No, your labor in God cannot be in vain. He has not called Jacob to seek him in vain. There is always a reward for them that seek God. He rewards those that diligently seek after him. One day things will turn. I said one day things will turn. It might not be next week, but one day things will turn. It might not be next year, but I promise you one day things will turn. It might not be tomorrow morning, but I promise you one day things will turn. And when they turn, every journey was worth it. If somebody told me go back, I would go back and do it over a hundred times more because I cannot explain the thing that starts to happen when the power of God gets on you. When a sudden anointing starts to fall on your life. When a sudden favor that is uncommon starts to pursue you. When your voice is elevated beyond the noises of this world. When your vibrations are raised and your waves start flowing in places of influence and affluence. God can do things beyond your own articulation, your own expression and expectation. For he's able to do exceedingly. I love that scripture. Abundantly above that which you dare to ask or think according to the working power that worketh in you mightily. Keep on your course. You might not be understood today, but keep on your course. You might actually be misunderstood, but keep on your course. And that is why for those who have known me for some time now, you realize I don't answer critics. I don't answer critics. I keep on my course. I keep on my course. Why? Because there's going to come a time where your critic will not be able to speak. Where those who thought you were crazy are not going to be able to say anything. Are you hearing me? But are you able to wait on God? Are you able to control your appetite? Are you able not to give in and give out? Yes, I know you're 39 and the guy has not come and the guy that is available is a little bit born again, but you wanted a born again fellow. And now you're in that war of God. Should I just go or shouldn't I because I'm running out of time? Darling, if he's not the one drop it tomorrow, send him that message and tell him, you know what? When I look into my destiny, there's greater things. We lost things. But I cannot tell you the overwhelming glory of the things that shall come to you. That is why he says, if anybody has lost mother, 
father. In this very life, you've lost mother, you've lost father, you've lost friends, you've lost houses, you've lost everything. He says, you shall have that back a hundredfold and more. That's just what he has promised. He's not saying it just to encourage you. He's not saying it just to, no, 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 no. He says, if you have understood how this works, you shall receive a hundredfold more. A hundredfold more. A hundredfold more. That's what we expect in God. Hundredfold houses. If you go in Mark 10, the message version, he says, you shall receive a hundred times. He says, they will get it all back. I love how the message says, but multiply it. That's what the message version says. He says, they will get it all back, but multiply it. Underline that. Keep reminding God that eh? every time you see denial, every time you see frustration, every time you see loss and you're producing fruit, always remember it's multiplying. He says you receive back multiplied many times in homes, plural, in brothers, plural, in sisters, plural, in children, plural, and land also. But he says, but persecutions too. Why persecutions? Because you need to keep multiplying. Hallelujah, glory to God. Because if we kill the persecution now, it means you're gone. No, but we need something to press you and push you out of your comfort zone so you can still look up to the Alpha and the Omega, the present and future and say, you know what? You're still not done with me. That is why if I'm not persecuted, I start to worry. Because I start to think, am I political God? Am I political? That's why there's a certain version that speaks of how we envy persecutions. You have to get to a point where when a man is persecuted, you envy them and say, oh, I wish I was like you. When you get to that level, you have truly understood what it means to walk with God. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds. On our way, while we do His good will, He abides with us still, and with all who will trust and obey. Help me, choir. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. And to trust and obey. Tell me not a shadow. Not a shadow can rise. Not a cloud in the skies, but his smile quickly drives it away. Not a doubt, not a fear, not a sigh, not a tea can abide. Why? And obey, trust and obey, trust and obey. For it's no other way to be happy, Jesus. That to trust and obey. Cora mandalo not a burden, not a burden. Not a sorrow we share, but a toil he doth richly repay. Not a grief, nor a loss, not a
adverse, but we never can prove that we never can prove the delights of His love until all on the altar we lay for the favor He shows and the joy. What God is saying, no pain you've gone through, no testation you've gone through, no loss you have gone through, no purging you have gone through, no rejection you have gone through, no poverty you have gone through, no trial testation you have gone through can be compared to the joy that is set before you because of your faith toward him. And I pray for you that may these words keep you strong. May these words uphold you in the mighty name of Jesus. I pray for the sick that you be healed, for the trouble that you be freed, for those marriages that are broken to be restored, for the children that are wounded to be restored. I decree and I declare that your career, your businesses will find another turn, a better one a hundred times and more. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray and believe. And all saints said, Amen. If you've never given your life to Christ, I'm to give you an opportunity to receive him. The Bible says there's no name mentioned in heaven or under earth or in earth by which men can be saved, save the name of Jesus Christ. You just need to repeat these words after me and say, Lord Jesus, I thank you because you shed your blood for me and was raised for my glory. Tonight, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. Amen. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero. Make manifest.